Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. I am about to admit a deep, dark secret. When I was a teenager and young adult, I hated fresh green beans. It's not something that any gardener would really probably readily want to admit, but I was used to eating them out of a can, and to me, fresh green beans were fuzzy. That's the only way I can describe it. I don't remember eating green beans out of the garden as a kid at all, but I definitely was tuned in to the smooth, soft, already cooked texture of a canned green bean. I maintained that I didn't like fresh green beans, or even frozen ones for that matter, even after I started growing my own garden as an adult. It wasn't until I think probably my third year of gardening that I decided to give it a try, and I learned to love the flavor and the texture and the freshness of fresh green beans. And I realized the difference in home canned green beans over the commercial type. Now I'm still not a huge fan of frozen green beans, which is a shame because they're definitely faster to preserve than the ones that I have to can. And at least one of my children refuses to eat canned green beans unless they are home canned beans. So let's talk about growing green beans. I really do believe now that they should be a staple in everybody's garden for diversity and their nutritional value. They're a crowd pleaser for sure. They're relatively easy to grow in almost any situation, but there are some pests and timing the harvest is often the trick to successfully growing green beans and for them not being, well, fuzzy. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. So first off, This is a gentle reminder to stay hydrated while you're in the garden this season. We are hitting our first heat wave of the year here, and the heat index today was 104 Fahrenheit, and it's going to be that way all week long with no chance of rain in sight. Mother Nature decided to turn the thermostat up and turn the faucet off, so there's that. But even if you're not experiencing garden temperatures from the depths of Hades this week, it's still a good idea to drink plenty of water while you're working outside. If you struggle with remembering to hydrate, try setting yourself a timer on your watch or your phone, and be sure to bring water with you when you go into the garden, just as a habit. You'll be more likely to drink it if it's sitting right there than forcing yourself to stop what you're doing and go in the house and grab some water. Your body will thank you, I promise. This is also your weekly reminder to collaborate with me on our 100th episode coming up in July. Use the link in the show notes to leave me a voice message and tell me who you are, where you garden, and what the one thing is you really wish you knew when you first started gardening and why. And if you're shy about hearing yourself on air, I totally get it. 
Just tell me in the message that you don't want me to use the actual message in the episode. Or you can send me that info through the contact page at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com or through messages on Instagram or Facebook. I want you to be included in this milestone episode. I need those messages no later than July 1st. And if you haven't checked out the spring collection in the Just Grow Something shop, now's the time to do it. I'm finishing up the summer designs now, so in the next few weeks, the spring collection will be gone. So head to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash shop to snag those while you can. All right, it's time for this week's DRL. What am I doing? This week, I'm seed starting again. Yes, it's already time to start the seeds for our fall planting. This is why I really encourage a calendar as part of your garden journal and your garden plan. If I didn't have a calendar that had these annotations, I would just be sailing right through this week, frantically harvesting the late spring garden and heading on into summer, not even thinking about the fall garden, but here we are. Fall planting for us happens in late July, usually around the third week or so, and some of what we plant, like cabbage and cauliflower and broccoli, needs about a four to six week start before transplanting. So I'll be seeding those this week along with the celery that I'm going to try to do for the fall. And then the Napa cabbage and the bok choy and the uh, the fall head lettuces and some other stuff will get started the week after next. Plus, I'll be inventorying my seed collection to be sure that I have the seeds that I need to direct sow at the same time that we're doing transplanting in July. So things like beets and carrots and turnips and spinach and such. The seed garlic has already been ordered, even though that won't show up until late fall. I usually wouldn't have to order any, but we had a little bit of a mishap with the hardneck garlic, and only a handful of it made it into the ground last fall. So I won't have too many of my own to hold back for planting, so I was forced to order some in. I will, however, have plenty of softneck garlic to hold back for seed because that is looking really splendid out in the garden right now, and it'll be harvested probably in another few weeks or so. So what am I reading? I'm actually looking for recommendations for audiobooks right now, if you have one you'd like to recommend. I spend about five or six hours each Thursday out doing farm deliveries, and while I love my podcasts, I'm looking for something a little different for the long day so I can save the podcast for while I'm in the gardens or cleaning and sorting veggies or whatever. So if you've got an audiobook you can recommend to me, I would love to hear about it. I do like sci-fi and mystery Um, I like a good business or self-improvement book, of course, gardening books and that sort of thing, but I'm open to just about anything other than cheesy romance novels. Those just aren't my thing. And what am I listening to? I've added yet another new podcast to the list with Two Can Play That Game. It's a podcast all about two-player board games. The hosts, Andrew and Pete, say that it's the podcast for people who only have one friend. (laughs) They play and review the games, they give them rankings, they give additional insight with some really funny segments. It's very entertaining for someone like me who can geek out on very specific subjects. So if you're looking for a new two-player board game to play, but like me, you don't want to shell out 60 bucks on a game only to play it once, hate it, and then put it away forever check out the Two Can Play That Game podcast. I'll link to it in the show notes. All right, question of the week. 
Remember, I take these questions from what is frequently being asked of me at our market stand and online, and if you have a question for me, please reach out by leaving me a voice message at the link in the show notes, shoot me an email from the contact page at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com, or send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook, and I will happily answer it. Now, this one is making the rounds in pretty much all of my gardening groups right now, And it is, how do I know when my garlic is ready to harvest? And this is a pretty important one if you're growing garlic because I've seen plenty of pictures over the past few weeks of people showing off their garlic harvest that clearly could have spent at least another month in the ground. It's not that big of a deal if you harvest it a little immature, but it's not going to be as big as it could be, and it may not cure as well, which means it may not last as long in storage. So remember, you've got two different types of garlic, soft neck and hard neck. I talked all about garlic in episode 40, and then I talked about how and when to plant it a little bit more in depth in episode 67, both of which I will link to in the show notes. The most obvious difference between hard neck and soft neck garlic is their appearance. Hard necks have a long flowering stem going through the center of the bulb called a scape. And this usually starts to pop up about a month or so before the garlic is fully mature and ready to harvest. Now, generally, the scape is removed from the bulb to force energy into bulb growth rather than into flowering. These scapes are edible, and we use them just like a chive or like a garlicky green onion. Uh, Garlic scape pesto is one of my favorite spring treats. So if you have hardneck garlic, Look for that scape to start growing. Let it grow about 8 to 12 inches long and start to curl around on itself and then snap it off and use it in the kitchen. This is a good sign that your garlic is getting close to being ready. Now for soft neck, you're going to have to keep an eye on their conditions. If you're growing both hard neck and soft neck, those scapes on the hard neck will also signal you that you should start keeping an eye on your soft neck. The soft neck will tend to be ready a couple of weeks before the hard neck does. Now you'll know when to harvest garlic when the tips of most of the leaves have started to turn just a little bit brown and the bottom leaves have started to completely die back. The timing for this is going to depend on your climate. In my area, this is around the middle to end of June for the soft neck and then another couple of weeks for the hard neck after that. A good rule of thumb is to harvest when at least three of the lower leaves have browned and died back, but no more than half of those leaves. If the bulbs are left in the ground for too long, they may separate and they're not going to store very well. Each one of those leaves represents a layer of skin on those clothes. The more leaves that die off, the more of the layers are disintegrating under the ground and so the less protected those bulbs will be. Now, once you see those leaves dying back, dig the bulbs up carefully not to bruise them. Don't just grab the stalk and pull. That's a surefire way to damage the bulbs. So gently dig around them and pull them from the soil. Lay the garlic plants out to dry for at least three to four weeks in a cool area out of direct sunlight with good air circulation. Do not wash them. Just allow whatever dirt is on them to stay on them until they're fully dry. You can lay them on open shelves, you can put them on drying racks, just laying them flat on a table, but not piled up, please. Um, Or you can hang them up. I use my seedling room because it's nice and cool and I have fans circulating the air. I just bunch up about 10 plants together and then hang them from the shelves and have the the fans blowing toward them. 
You can use a basement or a garage or a barn, whatever works for you. Any cool area will do. I especially do recommend fans, though, if you're in a very humid area. And you also may want to skip the bunching if the air circulation is a problem because the excess moisture trapped in those bunches may cause your garlic to rot. Now, you'll know your garlic is cured when the stalk is completely dry. Like I said, this should be about three to four weeks. For some of you, it might be a little bit longer, especially if you are in a high humidity area. They should be bone dry and very papery right at the neck above the bulb. And the roots should also be brittle and very, very dry. Now at this point, just cut the stems off above the bulb, rub off the roots from the bottom or trim them if they're really stubborn, along with rubbing off any of the loose dirt. And then store them in a cool, dry, dark location. And if you want to use any of these for your next round of planting in the fall, save the biggest and the best for planting. You want to perpetuate the genes from the most beautiful specimens from your harvest so that you get those same big, beautiful bulbs from your next harvest. So save the best and eat the rest. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Okay, so on to green beans. Let's start by saying that the term green beans does not refer to the color of the beans. I don't even know how far along I was in my gardening journey before I realized this. The term green bean is simply referencing the immaturity of the bean, like a green onion, young. You can eat just about any type of bean as an immature bean, even though there are varieties that are specifically grown as green beans and others that are grown specifically to be dried beans. A fully mature bean is going to be completely filled with the beans inside the pod and on its way to being a dried bean. And most of us don't like eating them like that. That's what I refer to as beanie beans <laughs> because they're just not as tender and they're dry and the texture is just weird. Beans themselves are relatively easy to grow. Once you decide between bush beans or pole beans and then decide on a variety or two, the planting and the growing is pretty straightforward. And there are so many different varieties to choose from. And of course, they're not all green. Yellow, purple, striped, spotted. There are a ton to choose from. And many of them that can be harvested at first for green beans and then left on the plant to mature into dried beans for storage. Today, we'll focus specifically on green beans. So let's begin, as always, with the basics. Many of what we grow as green beans are just young, unripe cultivars of the common bean, the scientific name Phaseolus vulgaris. But the runner bean, Phaseola coquineus, and other beans like yard long beans and hyacinth beans, they are also harvested in the same manner as young beans. Now, most varieties that we grow for green beans are specifically bred and suited for that purpose. Although, like I said, you can technically harvest any bean as a green bean. We're going to focus on those that are bred specifically to be harvested immature. They are all in the Fabiaceae family, or the legume family, alongside their cousins like peas and soybeans, chickpeas, and peanuts. 
The common bean originated in the Americas, and there is some discussion over its origin. Some scientists propose that Mesoamerica is the sole origin for the common bean, and there's been some recent analysis that may prove that true. But other scientists think that the common bean was a product of multiple domestication events in separate areas around the same time. And this is because there are two distinct gene pools, with records of domestication going back to at least 2300 BCE. Now, normally I would talk a lot about, or a little bit, about the ethnobotany of the crop, but I actually had a hard time finding much about the ethnobotany of green beans specifically. And this is because I think for most of its history, the common bean has been used interchangeably as a fresh bean and a dried bean, and most of the history that I found ethnobotanically focuses on the dried version as being culturally significant. So since I plan to do a whole separate episode on growing dried beans, we're just going to leave the ethnobotany for another day. I did find, though, that China, by far, is the biggest producer of green beans with over 77% of the world production annually. And I'm going to bet that it's because green beans are fairly nutritious. In a 125-gram serving, green beans have 44 calories, 10 grams of carbohydrates, 2.5 grams of protein, and 4 grams of dietary fiber. They are also a good source of vitamin C, vitamin K, vitamin B6, and manganese. It is important to cook green beans sufficiently before eating. This is due to the compound phytohagmaglutinin, or PHA, which is a lectin found in legumes. It is found in the highest concentrations in uncooked red kidney beans and cannellini beans, but it is also found in lower quantities in many types of green beans. PHA can have a number of physiological effects, and it's considered toxic with excess consumption. Now, the good news is PHA is deactivated by cooking green beans for 10 minutes at boiling point, so 100 degrees Celsius or 212 Fahrenheit. So I guess I should stop munching on so many of the green beans raw while I'm in the garden harvesting before I do myself some damage. <laughs> Oops. Now, you can grow green beans just about anywhere that you have the space and the light to do so. Pots, raised beds, in-ground, you name it. You don't need to worry about lots of fertilizer either. Being legumes, beans fix their own nitrogen from the atmosphere, and they can actually grow in some pretty crappy soil conditions if necessary. I mean, they do, just like about every other vegetable, prefer a loamy soil with lots of organic material, but you really just need to be sure the soil is loose enough and warm enough for the beans to do their thing. But the first thing to decide before you even get to planting is whether you will grow bush beans or pole beans. There are benefits and drawbacks to each, and much of this depends on your preferences for taste and texture, along with management and harvest considerations. Bush beans grow very much like they sound. Short bushes, usually no more than two feet tall, and they don't need any support structures. They're easy to grow. They don't really require much tending to until harvest time, other than you know maintaining the weeds and, and protection from pests. They take an average of around 50 to 60 days to reach maturity, and they only produce one main crop. Usually it's harvested across two weeks or so, and then they're done. This is great if you want lots of beans all at once for family meals or for preserving. If you want beans for an extended period of time, you'll need to plan succession plantings of bush beans to keep the harvest going. 
The downside to bush beans is that you need to get down to that ground level to harvest. Take it from someone who harvests up to 600 row feet of green beans three times per season. This can be hard on the back, which is why I'm actually considering switching to pole beans. Now, pole beans need a little bit more management. They need a structure to climb up, whether that's a trellis or you make a bean teepee structure or you use a cattle panel, whatever. They also take a little bit longer to start producing, generally around 60 to 75 days, depending on the variety and how large you like your beans. The good news about these, though, is that they continue to produce all season. So the management of getting them trellised is rewarded with only having to plant them once and then letting them to continue to produce. But you have to be sure to keep picking them frequently if you want them to keep producing. Once you let any beans get to full maturity and start to dry on the vine, that will signal the plant that it's time to stop flowering. Now the other benefit to pole beans is space. Since you're growing vertically, you need less ground level space. The other benefit to pole beans is that you won't be bending and stooping to pick them, which is the back-saving aspect that I might be considering for next season. Now, the reason I've stayed away from pole beans thus far is because I never really liked the size or texture of them. The ones I'd had always were bigger and less tender, you know, those beanie beans I mentioned. But I've considered that if I want thinner, more tender beans, I just need to harvest them earlier in their development. I'm just considering picking up a pack of pole bean seeds and throwing them in front of one of my trellises this week and giving it a test run. I know they won't start producing now until sometime in August, but that still gives me all fall to see if I can perfect the harvest timing and maybe save our backs next year. My husband absolutely groans when he sees the green beans flowering, which is right now, because he knows how much work we're in for. He sort of forgets about it, though, when we're eating homegrown canned beans in the middle of the winter, but that's besides the point. Beans are a warm season crop, and they prefer a soil temperature of 60 degrees Fahrenheit or above for germination, and they prefer growing on in an air temperature between 65 and 80 Fahrenheit. Now, there are varieties that can be planted when the soil is as cool as 50 degrees Fahrenheit, but I find they just take so much longer to germinate and grow that it's worth waiting until the soil is a little bit warmer if you can manage it. Bean plants are not at all frost tolerant, so keep that in mind. They also need full sun, so six to eight hours of direct sunlight each day. Now, for growing bush beans in ground or in larger raised beds, you want to direct sow green bean seeds at a space of about 1 to 2 inches apart in rows about 18 inches apart. Now, some people will thin their beans down to a spacing of 3 to 4 inches after they've come up, but I don't really bother with this. I've found that they can handle being crowded next to each other in the row without any real loss of production so long as the space in between the rows is sufficient. Now, you do need to keep them weeded, though. There's nothing worse than trying to hunt for green beans on a small green plant surrounded by a bunch of green weeds. Okay, speaking from experience here. Plus, the weeds will also interfere with their production. Mulch will go a long way toward keeping the weeds down and keeping the moisture in the soil, which is important for the quality of a green bean. Now, remember, with bush beans, you're going to have a short harvest window of around two weeks or so. So if you want to have a somewhat continuous harvest, you'll need to plan succession plantings. Base the number and timing of the plantings on your average air temperatures throughout your season. 
I generally plant two rounds of green beans in the spring to harvest into the early summer, but then it gets way too hot for bean plants to flower and produce in our area. So we take a break and then we plant again late summer for another harvest in the fall. In some areas, you may be able to continue planting every two weeks throughout the entire season, and in other areas, you may only be able to get one round in in spring and one round in the fall. So take a look at your average high temperatures at different times of the year and plan your planting schedule accordingly. If you get frost in the winter, your last round of planting should be about 10 to 12 weeks before your first expected fall frost date. Now, if you opt for pole beans, get your trellis or your pole or your lattice or whatever you're going to use set up in place first and then plant your seeds at the base of the structure. You don't want to be scrambling to put something up after they've already started to sprout. You can damage the plants doing this. Now if you're using a pole, plant like three or four seeds around each pole around four inches apart from each other. And then if you're using a trellis or a lattice or a cattle panel or something, then just space them four inches apart in the row and keep your rows about two to three feet apart. Train the plants to the trellis as they grow. So if you're using a pole, just wind them around the pole. On a trellis, just direct the tendrils to the next section of the structure. Eventually, they'll grow up the structures themselves with a little bit less interference from you. You still want to keep them weed-free, and they definitely will need to have the soil remain consistently moist. This is one of the things that I've seen with many pole bean varieties, is that they're a little bit more finicky about their watering requirements, so mulch is definitely your friend here. And there may be newer pole varieties that aren't as picky. Like I said, it's been ages since I did pole beans, so read the descriptions of the bean varieties if droughts are common in your area, and see if there are some drought-tolerant ones that grow specifically as green beans. Now you may also need to amend your soil partway through the season with pole beans, depending on the nutrient levels when you started. Since they grow continuously, their demands are going to be a little bit higher than with bush beans. Some additional mature compost or a little plant food with some phosphorus and potassium should be good. Again, you shouldn't need too much in the way of nitrogen since they're legumes and they are nitrogen fixing. The fun thing about pole beans is once you've had your fill for the season, you can stop harvesting and just let those plants do their thing. You'll still get all these really beautiful flowers, but then you'll also get these beans that will dry up on the vine, and they can be used either as dry beans to eat or as next year's bean seeds if they're an open-pollinated variety. And I did say that you can grow green beans in containers, and this is absolutely true. You can do large pots for both bush and pole beans, preferably something that's at least 8 inches in diameter. Now for bush beans, plant them or thin them down to a spacing of about three inches apart or so so they get proper airflow in your container. You may want to plant one or two pots and then do one or two more pots about two weeks later as a succession planting and then maybe another one two weeks later just to keep them coming on. Now, if you do pole beans, the strategy with pots or containers is the same as in ground. Plant them about two to four inches apart in the container and give them something to climb up. Be sure that you read how big the plants get before deciding on a variety so that you're sure that you have enough space for them to continue growing all season long. And if you're on a balcony or a patio, you can even use your beans growing up a trellis or a lattice as a shade or a privacy screen. And just like any plant that you're growing in pots for an entire season, you'll want to feed your beans at some point. 
They really only need it about once a month, though, unlike other plants that likely need additional nutrients in containers about every two weeks. So let's talk about pests and diseases of green beans. In reality, if you've got the weeds under control, the biggest challenge to growing green beans, in my experience, are the pests, both insect and mammal. Green beans are especially attractive to aphids, mites, cutworms, bean beetles, Japanese beetles, and grasshoppers. The other pests are deer, rabbits, groundhogs, anything wild in the garden may munch on bean plants. Insect netting is extraordinarily helpful in this situation. I'll link to the ones that we use. They keep the pests out, but they let the air and the light in. And since beans don't need to be pollinated to produce, you won't have to worry about removing the covers until it's time to harvest. And if you do get aphids or mites, a quick blast from the hose can usually take care of the problem. And those pests usually don't decrease the harvest too substantially unless you have a really severe pest load. Now, diseases of green beans include white mold and mosaic virus. I have thankfully not experienced either of these, but if they're prevalent in your area, look for varieties that are bred to be resistant to or tolerant of these diseases. Now, once you've successfully navigated the growth of your green beans, it's time to harvest. Harvest your beans when they get to be about four to six inches long, about the size of a pencil, and slightly firm, but before the beans start to bump up through the skin. Remember, we don't want beanie beans. Once you see them fully blooming, it's usually around 10 to 14 days until they're ready to pick, so keep an eye on them. Gently pull the beans from the plant using two hands, one hand to hold the stem and the other to pull the bean from the plant. This keeps the plant intact, it keeps you from breaking the stem, and it doesn't disturb the other younger blossoms. Pick at least every other day to keep the beans tender. They grow in size very, very quickly and they can very rapidly get away from you if you don't keep on top of them. And uh, harvesting pole beans frequently also encourages them to keep blooming and producing for the entire season. So what about storing? Green beans are often referred to as snap beans or string beans, and there is good reason for that. Older varieties have a long string that runs down the side of the bean. So when you're preparing beans for either eating fresh or for storage, you want to snap the stem end of the bean off and pull that string away. You want to do this sooner rather than later after you've harvested, even if you're not going to prepare them right away. There are stringless varieties of green beans now, mostly I think in the bush bean category, that you can plant if you don't want to have to mess with the strings. Rinse your beans and store them in an airtight container in your refrigerator for about a week or so, or you can can them up, freeze them, or even pickle them. I will leave a link to both of the preserving episodes in the show notes for references to some of those methods for storing your green beans. That's it for green beans. I hope this was helpful and gets you motivated to grow your own beans this year. I'm going to throw some pole beans in the ground and see what happens. Maybe I'll be able to save our backs for next season. Don't forget to send me a message for the 100th episode collaboration. And if you enjoyed this episode and you know somebody who might find it helpful, please share it from whatever platform you're listening to, or you can share it directly from the website at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. That would mean the world to me. And if you want more food and ag-related podcasts, check out the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network playlist on Spotify. The link will be in the show notes. 
Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to Patreon.com slash Just Grow Something to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon.